You are now listening to Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gap. Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims and killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. <laughs> Hey, 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 welcome to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gap. And already will be Todd Fox. Yes, right. But before we get into our episode, I want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just type in Grinding True Crime. And there you can follow our page, like our page, subscribe to our page. And uh, leave a comment on our page, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you want to listen to us on your uh, podcast stream, just go to Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, and Podvine. And for those listening to us outside of the U.S., continue to listen to us on Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser. Ah, thank you. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to support what we do, you can leave a Cash App donation. Just go to cash app or download the cash app app and just type in dollar sign grinding true crimes or if you have a donate to us at grinding true crimes with your paypal app uh listeners discretion is advised uh, we do get into details that can be a uh, graphic for a certain audience so listeners discretion is advised and uh, last but not least, we want to thank you guys for continuing to listen to us and supporting us. And uh, if you have any recommendations, you can always leave us a comment and we'll get into your story. Uh, either one of us will uh, look into it and we'll try to do our best to cover the story you recommend. OK, with all that being said, Todd Fox, you have the floor. You have a pretty, uh, pretty interesting story. You said I, I know you gave us a little bit of detail, look a little um a surprise, but yeah, you said it's going, definitely going to be a good one, right? Yeah, this one's unfortunately going to be um, a graphic one as well, so listener discretion strongly advised. In this one, uh, this is one that was told to me when I was a kid uh, by my parents. They they heard about this case, and uh, it was always a warning. So uh, we'll get into that right now, but uh, let's uh, let's let's talk about a few of these cases that took place in the early to mid 90s sometimes late 90s because uh it seemed like the 90s were filled with satanic panic you know um you had a lot of kids back in the day dressing like marilyn manson or in marilyn manson gear you know hot topic was just breaking out at the time uh Mm -hmm. death metal uh was big slayer ozzy osbourne witchcraft ouija boards uh depressing music like that the birth of goth kids so you had a lot of goth kids popping up. South Park made fun of that all the time. <laughs> um, I remember seeing my first goth kid uh, when I was, I think, it was 1994, 95. It shows you how old I am. But um, on your yeah, age, man. Yeah. <laughs> there was this tall uh, white kid, just long curly hair, kind of looked like um, a cross between Marilyn Manson and Howard Stern. And... Uh, 
He always wore black combat boots, uh, real, real tight, skinny black pants, and a trench coat or some sort of like Marilyn Manson um, type, you know, or Slipknot type shirt. So, uh, yeah, he was just weird, man. He was always smoking and everything else like that. Had like the whole choker around his neck and painted black nails. Um, you remember that very detailed. Yeah, because he freaked me out. <laughs> he freaked me out. <laughs> I had one like that in high school, too. It scared the crap out of me. Yeah, I mean, knowing what we know nowadays, those would be like the type of school shooters. But that was a little before that, you know, really became a the real pandemic here in the United States. You know, that that's, you know, that was a little bit before all that stuff happened or maybe close to around that time when it started. You know, in my school, there was a, a group like that. Um, they wouldn't really mess with anybody or talk to anybody, but there was just one in particular, the one I tell you that scared me. Mm-hmm. He was a bully. Oh. If he noticed you, then he would definitely try to do something to push your buttons. And he did that to me once, but I didn't stand down. Well, that's it good. It did scare me, though, because right after like he finished messing with me, because I got mad and I, like, I guess I went off on him too. Um, some other one just ran and like tackled this one down and they just got into a really ugly fight. Oh, so wow. that scared me because I thought it was like he, he was going to hit me or something, but he yeah. never did. But I, on a personal level, I always loved their style. That definitely caught my eye. I used to dress with like the black belts with the chain on the pants and the converse, sometimes the boots. I loved wearing black, black eyeliner all around my eyes. I had a hint of it, not that bad, but I thought they looked cool. Here we go. Okay, is that something we didn't know about Gabby? See, I thought she was gonna be like, well, yeah, I threatened his wang and he never bothered me again. (laughs) I was more like punk rock blood, not so much the goth because my parents would have never allowed it. Oh, okay. But if I could, I would have. <laughs> okay, okay. So again, it's something that we did, we didn't know. I didn't know that. All right, cool. We all learned. Uh, <laughs> so this this came around the time also. Uh, if you've ever, we haven't profiled this case because this case frustrates me. It's um it's another one you guys could look up, or we might we might get to it one day. But it's still technically unsolved. It's the West Memphis Three. Um, there's three boys, some believe, and that's like a real, um, real story that can get people swayed either way. Some people believe the three kids did it, which were goth kids at the time that killed three young, uh, teenagers, uh, or, or actually little kids. Um, mm. they were, they, they were in jail for, for a good while. And then they were exonerated after that. And some people think that there's murders on the street or some people thought that they finally got their, you know, that justice was served and they were released. So it's, it's a crazy story, but they were arrested because initially, you know, they thought satanic panic, satanic ritual, the way the kids were killed, they were just automatically blamed and they really didn't have any evidence that those kids were involved. So <laughs> that's the kind of thing that was going on back in the day. Um, but I, I digress. Let's get into tonight's story. And uh, we're going to learn about a few kids here. Um, so stick with me on this because I'm going to go through their um, their backgrounds pretty quickly <clears throat> to give you a background of where these people, these 
these kids came from and then how they play into the story. Okay. So we're going to start out like like Gabby was describing that group that was at her school. Well, mm-hmm. there's, there's a group here, but they're not all the same age. They're a couple years off. There's only a couple that are about the same age, and they're not going to the same high school, but they all hang out together. It's a small town. So these five nomads um, in and out of high school here, all dressed the same as far as gothic type stuff, have the same sort of personalities. Everything that I was you know, describing before they partook in partying, drinking, smoking, and playing games like the Ouija board, dabbling in Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, doing some occult things, demonistic side, and some vampire stuff we'll get into. That's what they were all about. So they're a little bit, they're not just dressing the part, they're trying to be the part. Hmm. Oh, they all into it. They sure are. And uh, we'll start in the state of Kentucky. So we're going to be in Kentucky. On wow. the eastern side of the United States. Um, the first person we're going to talk about is one Natasha Cornett. And at the time, she's 18 years old. She was born in Betsy Lane, Kentucky, which is on the west side of Kentucky. Uh, she was a product of a poor family. Uh, Cornett uh, grew up, uh, or up until sixth grade, uh, she had been really good, a uh, really good student. Um, but somewhere between seventh and eighth grade, she began to be um, addicted to drinking alcohol and taking illegal drugs. And you could say it's normal for like a teenager slash high schooler, but she was drinking a lot and she wasn't just doing pot. She was doing heroin and ecstasy mixed with cocaine. Ooh. Damn. Yeah. At, in the seventh and eighth grade? Yeah. She was only 14 at the time. God. Damn. Yeah. And at the, at the time she was 14 as well, she was also forging her mother's checks to get more money to buy drugs. So she was writing checks in her mother's name and uh, purchase, you know, cashing them out and then, uh, you know, using them to get more illegal drugs. And Aren't her she? mom never realized or what? <laughs> no, they, they caught up with her. They arrested her when she was 14, but she continued to do so after that. Um her mom didn't put her in, you know, she had a stepdad, but they did not put her in any kind of, um, you know, program or didn't, you know, scared straight or anything else like that. And Juvie didn't really hold on to her that long. And because of that, with no direction, she dropped out in ninth grade. Wow. Mari didn't send her to boot camp. No, she didn't. <laughs> no, she didn't. And, uh, her last name was changed to Cornet. Actually, it was, she had a, uh, different maiden name because she was uh, married on her 17th birthday to Steve Cornett. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, they they were both 17 years old and they got their blessings from their parents, got married, and uh, it only lasted nine months. Before her 18th birthday, they were already divorced or already going through the process of the divorce. Well, that didn't last long. Nope, it didn't. So that, sh- that shows you her her background, okay? Okay. So let's move on to the next one. And our next person is Edward Dean Mullins. And he was 19 at the time. He was born in 1978 in Harold, Kentucky. Uh, he had left the, uh, the school system in 1996, uh, just prior to graduating. 
uh, but he was working on his GED, which he never got. But he had a cr uh, criminal record that he got <laughs> of forgery and theft. So he kind of learned some of his forgery stuff from his good friend there, uh, Natasha. Hmm. So, uh, and Dean and Dean and Natasha became friends in 1993, four years prior to the incident. Um, his parents said that his behavior was not always good and he got into trouble. But when he seemed to meet Natasha, his behavior got really bad. So I wonder if those two were more than friends. We'll we'll find out. We'll find out, but uh, you might be Ooh. might be barking up the right tree on that one, Gabby. Hmm. Uh, our next person is Joseph Reisner. Uh, he was 20 years old. He was born in 1976 in Hazard, Kentucky. <laughs> 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 you just got to say it that way. You just can't say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in Hazard. It's like, yeah, you know, we're going to Hazard. <laughs> 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 Why you gotta do that, man? I'm just saying. <laughs> um, he was raised by his mother and took his stepfather's last name. Uh, the family moved to Columbia, Kentucky, and oh. then moved around for a few more years before they settled over here in Harold uh, or over there in Harold, Kentucky. Uh, Joseph claimed to have been molested by his babysitters, male and female, from the ages of 12 to 14, which started him on a history of, of uh, using marijuana, alcohol, and again, I don't understand how he graduates so fast, but uh, marijuana, alcohol, to LSD. Ooh. Yeah. So that was a pretty quick graduation. I mean, that's... <laughs> it, it's kind of crazy how he just jumped from... You know, those, yeah. you know, recreational stuff to just something big like that. But, oh, well. He was going through it. He didn't want to feel anything. And, yeah, and just he wanted to chase the dragon at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, he would join and meet up with Natasha prior to the LSD usage. So, you see a trend here? Natasha? Yep. <laughs> Damn it, Natasha! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they would meet at Betsy Lane High School. Uh, before Natasha had uh, dropped out, and uh, they would just remain friends and hang out on the streets. And he would also meet up with uh, Joseph Reisner at the time. And uh, Reisner, in his senior year, left high school uh, to join the Army while attempting to get his GED. But in 1996, he was released from the military for testing positive for marijuana several times and then was discharged. Uh, he would eventually get his GED later that year in 96. Uh, he was the oldest one of the group, but he was dating another person in the group who was a minor. And that would be one Karen Howell, who was born in 1979 from Delaware, Ohio. Which, again, if you're in America and you live in a city that has a name of two cities or two, a state in a city, it's not really a good thing. Just saying. How old was she? Uh, she was 17 at the time. So she was a minor. Or six, 16 and a half, 17, around there. Mm. Um, she moved to Kentucky area where she had an IQ of just 78. And she was into witchcraft, Ouija board, and stuff like that. And uh, she took part also in LSD, marijuana, cocaine, and a lot of drinking. Well, good Lord. Yeah, and she was a problem child. Body from the inside out. 
Yeah, and she was a problem child from the start, guys. Um, she she would get into several fights, attempted suicides. Uh, she beat up her parents at one point. Um, she had a history of cutting herself. Mm. So um, she had a lot of issues, you know, even with the, the drugs. Beat um, up her parents? Correct. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So now the fifth one we're going to talk about is Crystal Renee Sturgill, who was 18. She was born on March 13, 1979 from Harold, Kentucky. She was a senior at uh, Betsy Lane High School. So, again, that's where the common place is meeting all of them up over there. She met Natasha, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had attitude problems. Uh, Crystal's uh, school grades also dipped when she met Natasha. And she began to also dabble in alcohol and drugs. Um, so at this point, we've talked about Natasha, Dean Mullins, Joseph Reisner, Crystal Sturgill, and Karen Howe. Uh, these five teens would always hang out together outside school at Natasha's house or in the, uh, in the city, you know, playing by the, the back end of the, you know, swings or whatever when all the kids went home at middle schools or whatever or behind liquor stores so um, these five were always seen together now they did allow one other person to join the group and he was the youngest of the group and we have one Jason Blake Bryant um, he was only he three first names yeah <laughs> Jason Blake Bryant you get back here now stop hitting your sister Damn it, Jason. <laughs> yeah, Nothing yeah. wrong with that, because I got three first names, too. But it's, that yeah. one's for sure three first names. <laughs> exactly. It'd be even better if it was Jason Blake Bryant third. <laughs> but, and how uh, old was this kid? He was only 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And he came from Heller, Kentucky, but he moved into that area. And he had, he was also starting to attend the high school, Betsy Lane High School. And he had an IQ of uh, slightly better than uh, Karen Howe. His was 85, so he wasn't too smart. Um, he had tried c committing suicide as well, and uh, but that didn't work. Uh, he got into a lot of petty, um, petty theft. And according to Pike County, Kentucky, he started drinking beer uh, with his father when, or when he was when he was in Pike County, Kentucky. Uh, he started drinking beer with his father at the age of three. Mm. Yeah, and well, uh, <laughs> yeah, and at three. the age of, yeah three years old. What the heck? Yeah, that's apparently when it started. And then, uh, according to him as well, uh, he started taking drugs at 11, and then uh, he started to take drugs around Natasha to get her uh, to be impressed with him. And uh, Natasha, uh, let's see, according to the testimony later on, we would find out that Natasha's mother was not strict whatsoever on her and uh, would pretty much let her do whatever she wanted to. And these kids, like... Uh, the young um, kid here, uh, Karen, and also Jason, and the rest of the the ones that are older, obviously, than even Natasha, 
they would come over to her house because it was a safe haven and her mom and stepfather really didn't care about the kids dressing the way they did or or even drinking alcohol in the house, uh, smoking weed, stuff like that. It was just a safe haven for them not to be caught by adults or police. Well, then you could say they enabled it. As we say, that was the trap house. <laughs> that makes yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So what? <laughs> so what do you think about these kids so far? Well, I will say this: it seems like Natasha is the ringleader, or the one that uh, everyone's you know circling, circling around. Correct. And uh, oh, so I was just gonna say, it seems like all five of them have some kind of uh, you know, like a mental issue going on, you know, or going through some issues. So they turn to drugs to try to cope with that. So they probably got some, their own personal demons. Oh, they definitely got demons with all the stuff they do. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they all seem disturbed. Like they all have gone through something. So that's probably where they all found like common ground. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with those points. And it's only going to get worse as we continue the story here. So, including all the things that I talked about that they like doing, including the school stuff and and just their grades dipping, they're not really being responsible, even the ones that are older that are becoming adults. You've already had Natasha try to get married, and she did, but it failed before she's 18. All that stuff happened. Something that that they would do when they could scrunch up some money and, you know, steal a few things to actually have some money because these kids were stealing. Obviously, you have a habit with LSD, cocaine, uh, ecstasy. Those aren't cheap drugs. So you got to lie, cheat, and steal to get those drugs. So they did. And sometimes when they didn't want to spend too much on drugs, well, they would get a hotel and uh, they would all hang out, the six of them. Again, a 14-year-old being able to go to a hotel, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> where was his parents? It was the 90s, man. The 90s. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. I really don't. Uh, I've never been to Kentucky, but, you know, maybe over there it's a little a little different. Yeah, I mean, maybe you just got to play a banjo and they just let you do whatever the hell you want. Oh, come on, man. Don't be so disrespectful. <laughs> I just say <laughs> Um, So they, they used to go to the hotels. And they would take out razor blades during drug use, not to cut up cocaine or anything else like that, but they would start making cuts on the boys. Remember, there's three boys, three girls, and the Mm -hmm. girls would, well, take turns licking their wounds, drinking their blood, and they would do the same to the girls, and they would also, well, drink other bodily fluids. From each other. Whoa, what? Oh man, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Don't tell me they would uh PP on them. There's it just said all kinds of body fluids. So there was sexual stuff and there was probably uh, some, uh, R. Kelly stuff going on. They were masturbating. I wanna piss on you. Yeah, there was that too. Uh but there was <laughs> Yeah, there was uh, definitely sex and orgies and stuff like that going on. Oh, I can believe it. Yeah. Even with the 14-year-old? Correct. Oh, wow. I can believe it. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah, they were were playing uh, satanic games, uh, killing small animals, Mm. uh, Ouija boards, 
Um, mm. Yeah, so now that we got the main six out of the story, or at least as far as putting them out there so you can kind of get an idea of what these kids are at the time, now we're going to go complete, completely opposite of the qualities that those people put up today and you would you would be like okay you know what give me todd the, the the most opposite of the people you just described and i will do that i will give you, i will give you the complete opposite of these people and the you- complete opposite would have to be someone with a like you know i guess a religious background or something like that that would be correct that would be- high iq good grades that would be correct as well wow so let's find out about these people shall we So we're going to keep, you know, so keep Kentucky in the back of your mind, but we're going to go to Tennessee, which Tennessee is just below Kentucky. Tennessee whiskey. I wanted to go to Tennessee. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, Let's talk about the opposite of these people. Let's talk about one Vidar Lilylad. And I hope I'm saying that right, but Lily Lid, I think it's either Lily Lid or Lily Lid. That's an interesting name. All of it. That's a very interesting name, Badar Lilalad. Can you can you guess what country he's from? I'm gonna say Iran. Nope. Well, I guess more. <laughs> um, jeez. I don't know. Swedish. Close. Norway. Oh. Okay. Close. Norway. Yes, he was a, a Viking, probably at one time, or had ancestors that were Vikings around there. We just had a comment from someone from Denmark on our uh, social media page. Yes, we did. It was Sweden. Well, Sweden. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Sweden. Yeah. Oh, it was someone from Denmark too. We have a few fans over there from uh, that area. So, uh, he was 34 years old at the time uh, in 1997, where this story takes place. Now he was married. He was married to Delphina Lilied. Lily, Lily Lad. I, I'm going to be killing that the entire night, so I'm going to try to stick with it. I think it's Lily Led, but I'll go with Lily Led. Um, she was 28, and she was a Honduran national who moved to the United States when she was younger, and she wound up getting her, um, what's it called, uh, her papers? Uh, a visa? No, not a visa. Uh, she became citizenship, a residency. Yeah, citizenship. Yeah. <clears throat> the two met in Florida and got married. So he was six years older than she was. Okay. Um, so just, you know, while they were in Florida, the, the two had a daughter, uh, by the name of Tabitha. She was six years old at the time of everything going down in 97, but they had her in prior in Florida. And then their son named Peter, I think just prior to them moving to, to Tennessee. So they only had been in Tennessee for a couple years, but they started out in Dade County, Cal, uh, Miami, Florida, which in the nineties, was heavy heavy on drugs and the cocaine empire and uh there was a lot of uh killings downtown and stuff like that a lot of drugs in the area so um you know vidar did not want to stay there very long and he felt like going somewhere safer would be um moving over to eastern tennessee which was is obviously a lot quieter than florida and the family moved from uh, Dade County, Florida, which is in the southern part of Florida, I think, uh, up to the eastern part of Tennessee, which was be Powell, Tennessee. 
which is close to Knoxville. So it's on the eastern side of Kentucky. Um, so not Johnny Knoxville, Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) Now what comes to play in this story is we've talked about various religions in these cases. Um, we've, we've touched on Catholics, Buddhists, everything else like that. And now we're going to talk about Jehovah's witnesses. So, yeah, these, this family was the, was devout Jehovah's witnesses. And, um, they they were very religious. They they lived by the Bible. They preached about the Bible, and they were very enthusiastic about it. And um, that's how they found each other too, um, by at one of the Kingdom Halls down there in Florida at the time. So, fast My forward way. to April second, nineteen ninety seven. Um, they embarked on a two hour drive to Johnson City, Tennessee, which is about a good, you know, good 130 miles or so away from their home in Powell. And they were having an assembly there where Jehovah's Witnesses usually, it's a convention of about, depending on the arena or the stadium size, it could be anywhere from, you know, a couple thousand to, to 50,000 people. It just depends on the, the, the venue. And uh, it's just an encouragement there. Usually it's like a couple days or three days. And uh, they, they study about the Bible. There's all kinds of talks and, and things to encourage them to preach more and, um, and, and get to other people in the, uh, when they go door to door. So <clears throat> they um, went down there. They had a great time. They spent the three-day weekend down there, um, got a hotel or whatever, and uh, they decided, you know, when it was when it, it was time to go, uh, you know, that they should uh, head back that same afternoon on Sunday because it ended a little early. And the, uh, you know, some of the families that were there at the assembly that went to the same, you know, came from the same area of Powell asked them if they wanted to uh you know go out to eat you know and have dinner before they took the long drive back mm-hmm. but um this was not a wealthy family vidar was a bellboy at a at a uh, what is it called at a hotel slash waiter so he didn't make too much money mm-hmm. uh, his wife was a stay-at-home mom did a little oddball jobs you know like knitting and stuff like that for friends just to make a few bucks so they lived a very um like like oh go ahead no very simple life exactly exactly so they they weren't big spenders or nothing like that they couldn't be and they had a mini uh not a minivan but one of those dodge vans i don't know if you remember them like the ram style Mm -hmm. the ones that could sit like eight people eight people we (laughs) used to have my dad had one too, dude. Yeah. Yeah. We had the one with the TV in the middle where you don't watch your head and yep. it's over. Oh, the little, the little uh, six-inch TV? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, like man. Game Boy hanging from the, the rack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so they, they decided to decline the offer to come back. They didn't, And then even one of the parishioners said, hey, you know what? We'll pay for your family. And, uh, you know, Vidar was a, 
not a you know he, he was not a selfish guy or anything else like that but he was very um what's it called uh modest he was proud and he and he didn't want to take a handout mm-hmm. um, so he decided he said you know what it's an early day on sunday you know we pack our own lunches or or dinners you know we have we'll brown paper bag it on the way back you know maybe we'll stop somewhere or whatever okay instead of paying another day for a hotel or going out to eat. So they decided to leave. And keep in mind that they left on the 2nd. They were there for three days. So it's now April 6th, 1997. They haven't made it home. No, no, no. It's April because, it, remember, they spent the weekend there. So April 6th, they're departing from Johnson to head home. Mm-hmm. So that's the synopsis on the Lily Lid family. Uh, now let's get back to the goth kids. So, so keep them in mind there. Um, they're still in Kentucky, right? Yeah, they're still in Kentucky at this point. But prior to April 6th, where the Lily Lids are leaving Johnson, Natasha, the ringleader, was getting kind of kind of uh, bored with Kentucky. And she had talked to the other girls, and the guys agreed that they wanted to do something crazy. And they wanted to leave Kentucky and they wanted to go on a road trip. And if the mm-hmm. trip was good enough, they wanted to uh, make it something permanent, maybe because they felt they all felt together they had nothing going on in Kentucky. So they were like, you know what? We're going to go on a binge. We're going to steal some stuff. We're going to break into things. We're going to try to take from our, na- our neighbors, our parents, our brothers and sisters. Let's get as much money up together and we'll meet up at set date and we'll leave around April 4th or April 5th. So they plan this about like a week ahead of time. And uh, remember, uh, these kids are anywhere from uh, 20 to 18. And then you had 14 and a 17 year old. So two two minors at the time. And uh, again, according to Natasha, they started with the plan they started stealing from family and friends and from neighbors and the couple of the kids not know which one at the time were able to steal a nine millimeter handgun and a 25 caliber handgun as well so now they're armed at this point horrible Mm-mm. yep we're a and, bunch of kids uh, on drugs yeah you got drugs and stolen things and weapons and now you have Reisner's mother's car that he stole. He was 20 years old living at home. She had a 1985 Chevy Citation. Do you know what car that was? I don't know, but... No idea. I'm pretty sure they had a lot of tickets. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) So stupid. Oh, wow. (laughs) It was born to have a ticket. It was born to have a ticket. (laughs) No, that... um, that car, if you look it up, it's a it's a quintessential hatchback. Um, very ugly looking. Um, you can fit maybe three people in it comfortably, but you're putting six people in it now. And with their stuff as well, what they can carry on them or whatever. They're not putting big suitcases in there, but if you look up a Chevy Citation, it'll give you an idea. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of slightly bigger than a freaking Pinto. Oh, wow. Yeah, I see it. I, I know which one you're talking about. Okay, there you go. So uh, <laughs> this car uh, would, have to, uh, would happen. What <laughs> happened? 
It's very 80s. It's very 80s, yes. <laughs> and very cramped. Very. And it's probably got an AC that comes through one vent. So mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it's going to be, uh, not to say it's really super hot in April, but it ain't cold either at that time. Um, so this car would have to fit all six, no matter how big or small these kids are. And you'll see that three of the kids are, you know, at least the girls are not that big, but you, but some of the boys, including Jason, the 14-year-old, is a big husky dude. So for all six of these kids to hang in this car like that, that was an accomplishment in itself. So If they've been having orgies, they don't mind. Pretty much, yeah. They don't <laughs> mind touching things. So <laughs> is, is that your gun or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Uh, so these brilliant kids make up their mind that the destination is New Orleans Mm. New Orleans yeah more partying Mardi Gras they were thinking Mardi Gras now I don't remember what time Mardi Gras is but I don't think it's April at least but uh, they embarked on their road trip to New Orleans on April 5th which is a day before the Lilliads left that area in Johnson so they were still down there um, they would meet they would get to a motel to where later on the motel owner was pissed off because they did a lot of rituals satanic rituals in the in the room they wow. had seances uh, they drank a lot and uh, for some reason the motel owner or manager did not make a phone call that night and um, they they also would uh, trash it by ripping off some of the um, you know paint paintings on those walls and you know the uh, wallpaper and stuff like that. So they checked out before all the damage was found. That's uh, back up. Exactly. That night, Reisner's mom would realize that her awesome car was stolen, and uh, <laughs> she she would file a police report. And um, these guys would get on the road that morning of April 6th, and they would be heading south. Now, the thing is, they're pulled over by the state troopers at that time when they get into the um, Tennessee area. The problem is Johnson Johnson Alert. Yes. Johnson's here. Yes. No way. We have a Johnson with one of those nice state trooper hats, you know, like the creased pants, and you know, like <laughs> he's got the tie, and he's got that nice pressed hat and everything. It's all leather, and he's walking around all proud. <laughs> but uh, he probably has an IQ of fifty-four. Were and, they like punching chips? <laughs> no, he's more like uh, I think it's Cletus from Dukes of Hazard. he pulls them over he does the right thing there he remembers to turn the lights on in the police car and everything and Mm -hmm. uh you know he gets out and he offer them donuts (laughs) no but he's like hey you got a whole lot of people in a small little car right there you look awfully funny that's why i pulled you over (laughs) (laughs) now he turned into goofy okay yeah he's like oh you go (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then Natasha's like, 
Natasha's like, oh, we're just on our way to New Orleans. He's like, hey, you guys got to put on some seat belts or at least take off one of them gentlemen's belts and tie yourself to the side of the door because I don't want you guys to get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And and then the cop doesn't. And then remember, this is 1997, not 67. If he does his job and runs the plate, the car is stolen and the story is over. He arrests the kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If he freaking just realizes they're driving dangerously there's too many people in the car mm-hmm. over at least impound the car or take or make sure that you know hey you, you, three of these people got to get out of the car you know i don't mm-hmm. know i'll take the i'll take you three into town but you know do something do something <laughs> this direct i'll tell, I, I tell you one thing uh, huh. if that was in south central that wouldn't have happened <laughs> exactly <laughs> They all would have been on the side of the street handcuffed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And see, he doesn't do anything. He wow. just makes a note of the car and the stop and lets them go about their way. Then what the hell was the point of pulling them over? Isn't that protocol to pull somebody over? You got to run their plates? Yeah, but he didn't. <clears throat> Had he done that, the car was already listed on the national, um, what is it, uh, stolen uh, base or whatever for the for the police like like they mm. it would have been a hot car <clears throat> but he didn't do it and all he said was was uh i had a bad feeling about them kids well if you had a bad feeling do something <sighs> but that's These nonsense it was the 90s man it was the 90s yep unfortunately that break right there would let the rest of this stuff transpire So, these two groups that come from completely different backgrounds that would normally never meet up would now be on a collision course for each other. Mm. Because the two kids, as kids do on long road trips, get hungry. Mm -hmm. Little kids at this point were wanting to make it all the way home but they were getting close to home. But Vidar decided, hey, you know what? There's a rest stop coming up here pretty pretty soon. The kids have been very good at the convention for the last three days. Let's let them, you know, there's, there's a play area right there where the, the truck stop is or the little rest uh-huh. area. And they pull over and they say, we'll, we'll let them eat and we'll let them run around a little bit. How old are the kids? Six and two. Oh. So... I don't like where this is going, man. Yeah, you're not going to like it very much. So the two, the t- you know, they get out. They they have lunch. They're out of the brown paper bags. You know, they probably have like oranges and apples and sandwiches and chips maybe and some Capri Sun or high C or something. Just, mm-hmm. just really normal run-of-the-mill kind of food. Nothing spectacular. And um, <clears throat> as they're eating lunch... And the kids are starting to play a little bit. What pulls up right next to them? Oh. As they are feet away from their van, the Chevy Citation Evil. pulls the up. breakfast club. Yep. So, <clears throat> again, coming back from a convention, Vidar, who was probably very energized and very enthusiastic about you know, learning maybe more about the Bible or picking up uh, 
techniques to preach to people a little bit better because he wasn't the most outgoing guy, so he's a little shy with his accent. He's got a heavy Norwegian accent. Um, he decides, you know, maybe these kids, this is a good opportunity for me to share a scripture with these kids. These kids mm. don't believe in the Bible whatsoever. <clears throat> so this is the wrong idea. And it's it's unfortunate, but and it's not his fault. It's just Yeah, he had a good intention. Yeah. It's just bad timing altogether. Mm. So he approaches Natasha and Crystal and asked if they believed in God. They did nothing but laugh, paid no attention, smoked some cigarettes, and kind of walked away, walked a few feet away from him. But not deterred. He saw a little 14-year-old, so, so supposedly little, but he's kind of big, Joseph Reisner and the driver, Dean Mullins, who was 20, by the car and asked them the same question, you know, like, do you believe in the Bible? Which, surprisingly, both of them said, yeah, I believe in God. And so right away, Vidar kind of, like, perked up a little bit and began to, like, read him a, uh, a scripture or two. So while they're having a okay. conversation, his wife is over there, Delphina, and she's with the two young children. She's still playing with them, but keeping an eye on her, son, on her husband. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Natasha's looking at their van. Like, hey, man, that's a nice van. You know, like that's got like could sit eight. It's got the you know two rows in the back plus the the roll down bed by the back doors. Uh, you could fit ten people in there. You know, really. <laughs> so Natasha's uh, wheels were grinding in her head, and she decides. She looks at Reisner and she says, uh, I want that van. I want that van. So, Reisner, keep in mind, Reisner pulls the gun on the family. So, in a split second. That's it, the youngest one? <clears throat> no, Reisner is like the 20 year old. Oh, okay. So, he pulls the gun and uh, he goes over to the family and uh, he tells them, Hey, uh, <clears throat> we got it. We got to. Uh, we got to go, and you guys are going to come with us. And at gunpoint, no one else is around that little truck stop or rest area. <clears throat> so unfortunately, there's no one there to help them help them out. But uh, three or four of the uh, the teenagers now shoo the four, the two kids and the mom and dad into the van while wow. they start up the van. Uh, the Citation was driven by Reisner now who climbs back into the car. So someone else is holding him at gunpoint. We don't know. Someone else is holding him on, on by gunpoint. Reisner goes with Natasha in the citation while the other four are in the van with the family. So they drive about three to five miles down the road to an access uh, road that goes right off the, uh, the highway called Payne Mile Road, which is a gravel road. Uh, it, it's used to get to the outskirts, uh, uh, sort of like to those wind tower machines or um, like water tower stuff. So it's off the grid a little bit. Mm -hmm. That usually doesn't end well. Nope. Yep. So um, this story is going to go back and forth and we'll get into the specifics because only the kids know what happened that day. Um, 
but let's let's uh, let's get to what we can know exactly in, in the, the facts that we do know. So listener discretion is advised. This part's it'll, it's a little make you a little squeamish here. Oh man, yeah. Um, it didn't take long. The four uh, would be ousted out of the van. Now at this point, at this point, they're far enough off the road in a way that they could leave the family of four right there. And at worst, these kids get charged with. Um, Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto, yeah. That's it. And maybe you you get, if you have an aggressive prosecutor, you may get kidnapping because it was technically kidnapping, but you mm-hmm. know how that is. You can plea out of that mm-hmm. and just get a shorter stint. So these kids were looking at maybe five to ten years at most mm-hmm. at this point. Um, That's not how this one goes down, unfortunately. Uh. So... At some point, someone was given the green light, and both guns were fired. Keep that in mind, too. The 25 caliber and the 9 millimeter. Um, Vidar was shot once in the face, in the right eye, to be exact. Oh. And he was shot five more times in the chest. Oh. Oh. He was killed in front of his family. Um, he was shot with both caliber guns. So again, keep that in mind. Uh, his wife, Delfina, she was shot eight times, uh, three times in the abdomen by her gallbladder, spleen, and pancreas and uh, kidney uh, area. Then she ooh. was shot a couple times in her shoulder and an exit wound that went through her nose cavity area. So as oh, she came down, uh, she was shot in the shoulder and it left her shoulder area and then went into her nose. She was still alive enough to see her young six-year-old Tabitha being shot in the head, which the bullet exited her ear. Her two-year-old Peter was shot once in the back of the head where the bullet came out of his right eye. Yeah, I want to... Then he was shot... Why would they need to do that? And he was shot in his back, which came out his chest, the bullet. Two-year-old. Yeah, man. They gotta go. So, after that, all four were shot... They took the bodies <clears throat> of the parents, lined them together, and the two kids on the right hand, which uh, which the body was on the left. If you're looking, standing over them, don't tell me they did a satanic ritual. No, they did. They they put a kid in one hand and one hand on the right of the other one, and one hand on the left of the other one with a, to make it look like a cross. Ah. Oh. With the, the family of four. So. Dusty. Yes. So that. Um, as the bodies were laying there. They decided to take the license plate and everything off of the citation. 
everything that was inside the car and put it in the van. And uh, before taking off, they drove over the Lily Lid's parents' legs, uh, crushing their legs in the process uh, with that van. That van's very heavy. It's a very heavy van. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, so was she dead at the time, the mom? I hope so. I hope so. So they, um, they left all four right there, um, and, and, and took off down the road, left the car there and everything. Sick now, bastards, man. Yeah. So now I'm going to play a bit of audio here and, uh, the, maintenance worker that was on scene and he was just about within 200 yards away working on some equipment and this is what he heard they're being shot i just got a contract to build this road and the tank site and uh, it was one sunday afternoon it was uh, late in the day um wasn't quite dark yet uh, i walked up here to uh, look at the job and uh, I heard a gunshot over to my right. I didn't think a lot about it. Uh, it's not unusual for people to shoot, you know, either hunting or uh, target shooting. Then there was a pause. I could hear, hear a dog barking. Um, I could hear like, uh, sound like children on a playground at a distance. It wasn't over quickly, yeah, you know, it took some Took some time. You know, the first shot, I was kind of startled. Maybe stopped for just a second, then I continued walking. Maybe five, between five and ten seconds, I heard another shot. Large caliber gun. I heard another shot, and I saw Mrs. Lillard turn to her side, and she fell to the ground. What did you do? I jumped into the van, and I closed it. Closed the door and I started to cry. Now that's Jason Reisner right there. He's on testimony. This is him saying that he started to cry and he wasn't a part of it. But listen to him. Tell me this is not fake. My first thought when the door closed, I heard like a started to hear like a burst go off. And I thought, oh my God, you're dead. Oh, yeah. So, what do you think by hearing him? Because there's no tears in that video. Yeah, man, I can hear the fake phoniness through the phone from 2023. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm not buying it. Yep. So at this point, they're gone. That guy hears it, though, and calls it in. And, um, you know, to the, I guess, surprise, he starts heading over there to investigate he gets there at the at the same time and as the um what is it called the uh not the state troopers get out get over there and they find the four bodies now they find the daughter moving a bit and right away because the police they're there and they're they're upset what they've seen it's it's a horrific scene and they're very upset and they call in helicopters right away and they, you know, they call in for for the helicopters because then the the little boy starts to move a little bit and gasp. What? So the 
helicopters come in the fire department's trying to keep them stable or trying to get them stable the parents are deceased um they airlift both the children to to different trauma centers to try to save their lives uh tabitha would last through the night before she was declared brain dead and she would be taken off life support just hours later now peter uh peter would go on to live and this to this day he's still alive wow he has a hard time walking and he's blind in one eye because obviously the bullet went through the back of his head and destroyed the eye that it came out of wow so at two years old at two years old yeah he lost his entire family um he's lived he lived with some relatives he got a good job and he's doing quite well despite everything um so so that's a plus that came out of this story now the uh idiots uh they're on the run and they're on the run for a few days uh once the state troopers got there they realized the citation you know had been stripped but the morons forgot that there there's a thing called the vin number Uh And the VIN number is usually on the side door or it's on the dashboard or both. And they were able to trace that VIN number to Reisner's mom. And when they called Reisner, they figured out all the the group that's always together. And lo and behold, when they tried to track them down, all of them are missing. Uh So that was an easy one. Well, that was pretty easy for the detectives. Yeah. So now they know. And judging, too, at the crime scene, they saw several um, uh, shoe prints, different shoe prints that weren't the lily lids. So they figured, okay, we have a group. So they're putting it all together pretty fast. And this is actually a story that comes on America's Most Wanted as uh, the story was breaking live that this uh, that these gothic kids playing into the satanic panic are on the loose and they've murdered an entire family. And look out for that van. So we're gonna fast forward here. I'm gonna give. Uh, I'm gonna play some more audio right here. Which so they're coming back into the United States. Well, there are there's a computer system, and the computer system generally they type in the uh, tag number and get other information. That computer system had not operated all day. Was not working when that van that they were in, the lily-lid van, pulled in to the stall there, to the gate. The computer system started working. When they typed in the the, uh, tag number, the bolo came up. And, of course, notified them that these people were wanted for murder, that they were armed and dangerous, and they acted accordingly and did a fantastic job of apprehending them. But the computer had not worked all day long until right then when that van came in. Mm. It's like the hand of God again just came down and said, we're going to get you right here. Mm. So what they had did is they went into Arizona. They actually made it across the border, and then they ran out of money for whatever reason. They tried to come back across the border. And like he said, the machine had not been working all day until that van pulled up. And at the last minute, it started working, 
and they were able to identify that those were the the ones wanted for the double homicide at the time because it uh you know that they hadn't put it on the record that the third child had died or the third person had died he the officer said something or whoever that was in texas he said that may have been the hand of god yeah that may have been yep excuse me that's crazy yeah i mean that's that's how they that's how they were caught and Mm. so they were extradited back to face uh charges there in kentucky now when they went on trial the the overwhelming thing was that these goth kids had to pay and um boy oh boy um again these these are white kids so what i'm going to say is is you know we knew that yeah (laughs) but but what i'm going to say is 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 lynching was an option and not by the people you know because when you think lynching you think man slavery and what they did in the past Mm -hmm. this country's Mm -hmm. you know a dark past in a way in slavery Mm -hmm. we're talking 1997 we're talking this was a national case and the people of Kentucky wanted to lynch their own citizens supposedly because of their satanic background and what they did to the family the people were so angry they had to call in the National Guard to protect the courthouse and the lawyers of the you know that were defending these these kids the the people wanted to publicly lynch these people they actually would set up nooses on the trees as what as the vehicles would approach the courthouse so that the kids would see every time leaving the holding cell downtown going to the courthouse what the people wanted to do to them and you know what i ain't mad at them on this one the way they executed that family and then to shoot Two little kids point blank for no reason. Yeah. Just to take their van. Just for their van. This disgusting. They could have just left them at the freaking rest stop and taken off with the van. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, they would have avoided the, uh, the what's it called, the kidnapping charge at that point. Good for Kentucky. Good for the state of Kentucky. You know, for them to stand up for their people. You know what pisses me off? Of course. Off with their wings, huh? When you've got a case this clear and you know who did it, why do they deserve an attorney? Why should they have anyone defending them or trying to lighten their sentence? That's bullcrap. You shouldn't have a right to that. Yep. Yeah, because of the belief that you're innocent until proven guilty. It's, it's, but it's so the, freaking obvious. Like, what do you... It's part of the system. It's judicial system. They have don't to do it. Don't people protocol. like that. Don't deserve to be defended. It's protocol. I get I get your point, but it's protocol, right? Yeah, some countries will just throw the book at you. This one, it gives you due process. And, um, you know, <clears throat> they... I mean, with all the evidence that they already had from the crime scene, everything else like that, they would go on to find out that the girls had tried to keep the kids calm on the drive before, and that wow. uh, well, they offered them candy. Uh, well, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, you kidnapped them, and y'all got a gun at gunpoint, 
There's no way a kid's going to be caught. Yep. Well, this is just what they're saying. And I got you. Yeah. And, and but here's the disgusting thing too: <clears throat> if they're trying to humanize themselves, they're not helping themselves because each one of them, on their person, on the van, on the inspection at the border when they were arrested, had something sort of as a trophy from the family. Like uh, mm-hmm. Reisner, Reisner had the ID and the wallet of Vidar. Uh, one of the girls had some stuff from Delfina. Um, one of the girls also uh, had uh, the, what is it, the little little diary from the six-year-old. Uh, there was other various toys that, the, that they kept along with them. So, you know, these, these kids were were not at all freaking uh they were celebrating and proud of what they did yep now now listen to this part right here i think this is the right part i'm gonna queue up here over with the thing i took off and i turned i like pulled it hard over to the left like missed my car and I don't know how long I was there. I mean, I'd never drove a van before, and I didn't want to wreck us. And um, I cut it back real hard right. I think we were like in a ditch or something. I don't know. I cut it back real hard right. And I remember feeling this hit something. They had a ritualistic killing, shooting of them, which everybody participated. There was no rituals or anything that was done at the crime scene as the DA spoke of? I believe that when they killed the lily lids that they had an, a, an occult purpose and it was sort of a ritual. These people were murdered to conceal the theft of the van. And I think once they stole it, that uh, then something happened that may be related to uh, the satanic aspect of the case that everybody talks about. They were binding or making a bond with the devil. Now, prior to my experience in this case, I might have had a little trouble believing that. I don't think the fact that these people had been somehow involved with Satanism had anything to do with who the victims were because they were Jehovah's Witnesses. I don't think it anything to do with that. Now, the prosecutor may disagree with that. These children were blonde-haired, blue-eyed. We learned later from an occult expert that those types of victims uh, hold a special significance. So they're trying to, at this time, the district attorney's trying to say that it is, that that they were picked, that they saw them. It was not only the van, it was the fact that they were blind, blue-eyed. Uh, you know, they're, so they're pushing for the satanic murders right there, along with all the other charges. And the lawyers, though, <clears throat> do something brilliant. Defense attorneys? The defense attorneys? The defense attorneys, yeah. So what happens here, I can get the testimony, but it's kind of grainy. It was kind of grainy in the beginning with Reisner there trying to fake cry again. But they put the dumbest kid in the line of fire, which is the youngest kid, Jason. And all five of them say that he's the only one that shot. And it was Jason's idea to run over the kids. 
um, even though Reisner said he didn't know how to drive the van and he accidentally ran him over, they would change her story and said, hey, it was his idea to kill the family. Nobody wanted to do it. Everyone turned around when he shot. They were begging for them to spare the kids. And uh, But Jason, the 14-year-old, was the one that shot. And, wow. <laughs> and they're trying to say that he shot with both guns. That's All right. You got this girl who's the freaking devil herself, and yeah, they're going to point at the youngest child. Okay. And And here's the thing. The 14-year-old doesn't really fight back in court. And they're trying to make the jury believe that he is shooting two powerful handguns at the same time. Exactly. And uh, everyone knows it's BS. But the way that he, the way that they presented it and the way that they made him take the blame, the way that he took the blame pretty much saved all their keisters from the death penalty. Mm. Because had Dean said that he was a shooter, had Reisner said he was a shooter, maybe even if Natasha said she was a shooter, four of the six would have got the death penalty. I think they still should have been period. I think so too, because that's so stupid. If it had been the 14-year-old who was about to shoot the whole family and everybody else was begging him not to, the dad would have had time to do something or run him down. The stupid 14-year-old holding two big old guns. Yeah. And his he was going to aim correctly and kill them all. I mean, come on. Yeah, it Who doesn't believe that. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because these people weren't tied up. So they were likely being held by the other individuals. So they were there. And whether Jason was a shooter or not, you know, there was a second shooter. There had to have been. The ballistics show that there was. There's no way that the kid could handle two guns like that at the same time and fire them at the same time. The trajectories were wrong. Everything pointed to two shooters. But they could prove that, but they couldn't prove who it was. That was a second shooter. And since everyone was dogpiling on Jason and Jason took it through his attorney, knowing that he was not eligible for, for uh, what do you call it, um, for the death penalty, it saved everybody else. And in Tennessee and in Kentucky, you best believe you're going to be euthanized because the death penalty is very much on the table. Um. That's another. Those are two other states like Texas that don't play around. They don't freaking deserve no less. Yep. So what happened was, including Jason, which they're trying to change things for Jason to this day, but all of them received life uh, without parole, without a possibility of parole. Mm. Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah, and it. A couple of them have offended since they've been in prison uh, with fights, including uh, Natasha tried to um, uh, stab another inmate. She held another one at hostage before she had to be tased. Um, (laughs) Doesn't that show them who the hell took the lead? Yeah. Yeah. um, But there's still some sympathy for um, a couple of these kids from a select few 
but they have been held, a lot of them, in uh, different situations have had to be moved from other prisons because people want at them still to this day. They want uh, prison justice because of what they did to that poor family all those years ago. Yep. So That makes me angry, and I don't even yeah, know who I've, they are. Yeah. And it was so many years ago, and it pisses me off. So I don't blame everybody who was in that time. Yeah. I mean, the, the only the only good thing that came out of this story is that Peter is alive and well. He's married and has a nice job. Um, very much off the grid. Uh, I don't know if he's he's a practicing Jehovah's Witness or not, but I heard he's doing really good. Uh, despite, you know, the uh, trauma that he, you know, mo- you know, should have been dead. And this, like I said, this case shook the most uh, veteran detectives and police officers and really pissed off the East Coast and uh, everyone in that area. Um, they really wanted these kids that were on the loose for a few days afterwards. What and, about the parents? Uh, the parents, um, there's there's a documentary where I got some of the audio from um, called Six, the movie. If you want to look it up on YouTube, it's free. Um, you'll see the parents and the parents try to come off like, you know, like, well, I tried. They just came oh, out. Yeah, they okay. came, you know, <laughs> one of those. Uh, and then their friends are like, I don't think they were so bad. They they were, you know, they, they were just misunderstood. So yeah, okay. there's a lot of excuses going on for those kids in the documentary. And only it seems like the district attorney and a couple others speak the truth. No, no, no. Like the the one I did last week, the James uh, story, those were 10-year-olds, and I'm not excusing them whatsoever. They were kids. These people were adults, teenagers, and some in, the, in their 20s. I'm sorry. I would have threw the book at them. I would have given yeah, them Yeah, you got a big level of knowing what's right from wrong already. The fact that you shoot a two-year-old, a six-year-old, and then top it off, you killed their whole family. You kidnapped them over a stupid man. Yeah, I'm cool. And then you're still going to run them over? I'm cool. Yeah, they, they got to go. Yeah, and then like you see Reisner on there, he's just trying to cry and he can't. He can't muster any tears. If you look at the other girls at the time on the podium, they're very nonchalant. They're trying to look sympathetic, but they're... <laughs> I mean, I, you, you could it's, tell whether it's the this, first acting you've seen in life. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could tell if you're in those neighborhoods and you saw that crap being played out on television. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you'd want to lynch them too. You know, I'm, I, I, I'm a Kentucky. Good job. You know, I yeah, I probably would have wanted to lynch them too because that mm-hmm. hits. You know that that hits home. That hits close to home. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not for like you know public murder and all that stuff, and and you know like a lot of people have a hard stance on on capital punishment anyway, and eye for an eye. Some people believe in it. Some people say let them rot in prison, but um, <laughs> I wouldn't have shed. I would have been like Reisner. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been showing any tears uh, <laughs> if they had been lynched in the middle of the street by the people. You know what I mean, like. You almost you almost kind of wish that one of those trucks that or vans that were holding them on their way to the uh, the um, 
the prison would just pull over and uh, post a sign on the side of it saying, hey, the uh, the murders are in this van. I'm going to get a burger right now. I should be a good 30 minutes. The doors are open. The doors are open. <laughs> no cameras. They're locked up. Do what you may. <laughs> so, Come on, man. I, a two-year-old? Yeah. That's despicable. It's all of them. Like, no, I get it. The two-year-old, so sad, such a baby, and then a six-year-old. Like, what do they know? That's what I'm saying. They don't know but anything. You're targeting a family that's trying to do right and live their life as best they could and raise their kids with good morals. You're gonna target them. Yeah. That's what really pisses me off. It's like. He had no bad intentions. He was trying to share something good, and he's on his way home from having a good weekend with his family. Yeah, I mean, to go and do something that effed up. I wish they had just told the family, "Hey, f off, get the f out of my face," and that's the end of it. You know what I mean? So if he had to get a, like a bad, you know, uh, experience as far as them telling, you know, cussing him out or something, fine, let it be that. Or, yeah. or like Gabby said. Tell them to f off and take the van, you know. But leave the family alone, you know. They they didn't deserve that. And you know, you know, he tried to preach to the two girls. They laughed it off and started smoking. All right, most people probably would be like, "Well, let me just leave these people alone." No, he he still tried to talk to the the boys, you know, and he got a response from them. But then, dumb dumb, what Natasha, whatever her name is comes over and be like, yo, I want that van. And it, yeah, man, that, was, that one bothered me. I do believe that it wasn't just the van. I, I think they laughed at them and they were probably annoyed by him trying to preach to them. And then noticed the van that they would fit better. Obviously, they were headed somewhere. So I think they thought of all that. But I feel that if they hadn't been like targeted for them to do their stupid satanic ritual and, and all that, they wouldn't have killed the family. They wouldn't have taken them. They would have just taken the van and be gone. The yep. fact that they took him to an isolated area and then put him in that manner after killing them, you targeted them for a reason. Well, I mean, yeah, I agree with that because you think about it. Bullies target people that they can bully. They don't target bully. Uh, bullies don't target people that they know. Be like, oh, okay, they're they going to put up a fight. He, they probably saw his demeanor. You know, he's a very simple guy. He had a strong accent. He probably was very humble. Who knows? And they saw them as an easy target. Yeah, bullies. So, yeah, I agree. They they targeted him. You put the family in the shape of a cross. What are you telling them? No, that's what I'm saying. I believe they yeah. targeted them. I think it definitely had to do with their stupid Satanism. Yeah, see, Gabby's right there with the district attorney and so's Matt. Like, you guys are calling it like and see it. I mean, there's... Two plus two equals four. I mean, the stuff they were doing in the hotel prior, the stuff that when they dove into their backgrounds over there in Kentucky, they found out all that satanic stuff they were into and doing all those rituals and the way that they had orgies. And so, I mean, it all adds up, you know, and then for them to deny it on the podium and say, well, you know, we were all having a good time. And, yeah, we made a mistake in kidnapping them, but it was all Jason's fault. You know, Jason pulled out the guns and he started shooting. It's like, nah, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I'll say this. Jason, he he took it on a chance. He didn't snitch on his friends. But I, in this one, I wish they all still would have got the death penalty. Like, 
Come on now. Yeah. Yep. I have. I don't give a damn that he didn't snitch on his friends. Like, who cares? No, no, I'm not saying, like, I'm proud of him or anything like that. I'm just saying he took it on the chin. Like, you know, he really, really stood up for his friends on that one. Like, I'm I'm shocked. You know, they all threw it on him. I would have been like, yeah, right. You know, homeboy shot. Like, if I'm going down, I'm taking the whole team. With, you know what I'm saying? I'm not. He didn't do that. He, he, you know, he just took it on the chin. I wish he didn't, but. But the fact that people bought it, like, how stupid that was. Yep. It's You're because... gonna play it that way, and it's like, oh, okay, the fourteen-year-old influenced all of them, including the adults in the group. Yeah, yeah, the newcomer too. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't part of the the clique originally. He had just gotten it, it like into the clique. You know what I mean? And he's the youngest one, like Gabby mm-hmm. said. So all of a sudden, he's the ringleader. All of a sudden, he's the gunslinger. So I mean, the, the evidence was there. I don't know why they didn't push against what their they were the testimony was but either way the the jury bought the fact that he was you know they couldn't prove it any other way so that if he wasn't the you know if he wasn't the double shooter like they proved that but he was a shooter i guess that they proved it enough through testimony that yeah he pretty much by falling on the sword saved the whole group I mean, he was going to get life without parole, but maybe an opportunity after like 35 years of possibly getting parole on a rule change. But I think that evaporated. I mean, there's still his lawyer still trying to fight for him because he's the only one that realistically has a chance to get out. The other the other five will never see the light of day. Well, they shouldn't. Neither should he. Why? Why does he have that possibility if they piled it all on him? If he's the killer? He was young at the time, right? Yeah, he was a minor. The seventeen-year-old was still con- she was uh, tried as an adult. Uh, the fourteen-year-old uh, was technically not tried as an adult, so he has the there's an open uh, there's a loophole basically. It's a loophole, yeah. It doesn't that it's so stupid and so contradictory. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. That you're going to charge that one particular one and take what everybody else says and say he's the one that shot them. He's the one that killed them. But you're not going to try him as an adult. You're going to try him as a child. And then he has the possibility. The one you're saying pulled the trigger. The one you're saying is the reason behind the family no longer being there. It's going to get a possible change of of a uh, sentence. Yeah. That makes no sense. Because there's a possibility for him he's 39 now. So in 10 years he has a possibility of uh being able to hit his first uh, parole at 49. But the other, You the get other. my point though like why are you going to try him as a kid and not an adult? When you're gonna lay everything on him. Yeah. Well, I mean, so they, they, they didn't technically try him as a as as a kid though, because then he would have been, he actually would have been eligible for parole at 21. Yeah, at 21. But they they got some extenuating circumstances to make it 
to where he was kind of tried as an adult, but like I said, it was is a kind of a gray area. It's a loophole. Yeah, yeah, it's a loophole. So they used a loophole, but they opened up a loophole for him as well. So they didn't, so they didn't exactly close the door on him. They closed the door on the other five. Um, like I said, I wish they would have executed two of them at least. I think Natasha should have went. I think Reisner should have went. Uh, Dean probably too, but um, yeah, it's just messed up how it is. I mean, they're all still breathing. Mm-hmm. And three of the four is not. Yep. Man, that hits home. That's a tough one, right? Yeah, that's a tough one, man. I never heard of that one. But, um, dang. Dude, when, yeah, that was tough. Yeah, so uh, that's the Lilith case. Lilith. It's hard okay. to say. I gotta look that up. Yeah, look up the movie uh, Six. It's just uh, S-I-X dash the movie on YouTube. And uh, it's about just under an hour. It's based on that story? Yeah, pretty much. It describes the case from start to finish. And then it also has... Like I said, testimony from the kids' friends that knew them in high school and around the town has their families and and they're trying to like discuss what happened in Natasha's life, the way she went, the way she did. So you have a lot of, you know, her family trying to stick up for it or wash their hands of it, talking about the other kids, and then they show courtroom testimony from the kids, um, and then them all putting the blame on Jason at times, then the district attorney. Uh, pretty much stating the facts, you know, kind of like crapping on all what the kids said. Uh, it's a good hour watch. All right. Mm. Well, thank you, Todd, for that one. You got it. Well, I'm, I definitely want to look into that one for sure. Yeah. Well, that was a tough one, but um, we're going to bring this story to an end. Thank you once again, Todd, for breaking down that story. Uh, and remind you guys quickly, uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, YouTube. Just type in Grinding True Crimes. Listen to us on Podbean, Spotify, Anchor, iTunes, Pandora, Podvine, Radio Public, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Podchaser for those outside of the country. Ah, tough one, but we're going to end it again. Uh, this has been the Grinding True Crime Podcast. This has been your host, uh, Maddie Matt, along with Gabby Gab and Side Fox. And we are signing off. Toodles. Peace. Y'all come back down here unless you have a ticket outstanding. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs>